I would love to meet you men. God says, come as you are. He knows the ugly in us and in this world. He says fellowship. So that's what we shall do. With Bibles, beer, bikes, barbecue, babes, babies, and fun. What the heck? Why does church have to be in a building? <laughs> That's the subject line of the email. <laughs> <laughs> Hey! Yes, we have video. How are you? Good. All right. Well, just so you know, uh, it is recording right now. Yeah. So anything you say from this point on held against you in a court of law. (laughs) Too late now. Yeah. Can you hear us all right? I can actually. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So Jeff is in the middle here. He was the guy screaming through the streets of South Orange County uh, to make it here. He he made me think we were we were going to be like five. uh, 15, 20 minutes late, but somehow he comes through. It was very, yeah, it was breaking laws. Breaking breaking laws on the, no, I wasn't actually. That's how you normally drive. I just though, made you? all the green lights. and. This is a, uh, it's a race-based podcast, man. It's not love. <laughs> exactly. It, it has to be. If you, I mean, you'll know soon enough, but if you only knew some of the differences that the three of us hold, that's the only way this thing exists is with grace. There you go. That's yeah. the only way exists so yeah. we're good to yeah that's true so thanks for reaching out how did i'm zach by the way i've been the one interacting with you jonathan uh and this is scott on the end why are you point me out oh because okay yeah yeah we've already put out the lawbreaker yeah yep. yeah okay yeah. <laughs> you reached out to us where do we come across or your knowledge to do that yeah, you know, just uh, you guys are on very similar wavelengths with some of the podcasts I listen to. And uh, so I just shot a few things to a few different people. And I'm like, I think this could be a good match. And I really feel like some of the stuff I've been in the middle of is uh, relatively interesting. So some people have responded. So I'm grateful. And that's yeah. how it's here. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, this your your book, which I'm going to read the title questions about sexuality that got me uninvited from my denomination. Yeah, short title. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That is something that is near and dear to my heart right now because the church I attend is starting to have these conversations to try to catch up. I mean, society is moving so fast with some of the language that's changing, some of the, you know, some of the terms people use to identify people. It's like, well, we homosexual, we don't really say that anymore. And I mean, everything's changing so fast and um, faster than people can keep up with generally, unless you're on the hyper woke social media end of things. But we're, we're starting to dive into that and wrestle with that because the church itself is, uh, they do a centered set model of church. I don't know if you've heard of that where obviously we can all define things differently, but the center being Jesus and the cross. And so there's going to be a lot of different people there. Yeah. So versus bounded set. And the yeah. Center. Yeah. Versus bounded. Yeah. And Jeff also goes to that. And Scott is on an Island somewhere. I'm not allowed to go to their, uh, to their church. Yeah. 
But we're starting to wrestle with that, and there's a lot of people with a lot of different views from real conservative to um, what would be more considered liberal to a lot of people uh, that are all involved and active in the running of this church. And so it's a tough conversation. So the, the fact that you reached out at this time, uh, the timing was good, I think. So Very hopefully good. some of those people will listen to this and get something out of it, hopefully. Well, you're not alone. I think no matter who I talk to, it seems like the timing is appropriate, whether or not some people think it's good, but it's definitely appropriate. And uh, so that's not a surprise. Yeah. So uh, my first question I like to ask people we don't really know is what view of God were you born into? Yeah, so I was born into, you know, I come from a pretty traditionally conservative, somewhat constrictive um, evangelical, Protestant, middle of the road. Uh, my my tradition. There was a lot of talk of holiness, uh, which wound up being a lot of talk about purity and kind of like um, who's in and who's out and trying to get pure. Um, so my view of God in the middle of all that was quite interesting and a bit complex. So fortunately, for the most part, it was really positive. And I had a good family um, who, I, who I know and I knew loved me, and I got along well with my, with my dad pretty well. But um, it, was a, it was a pretty hyper-religious environment, and so a, a lot of stuff got layered over the years that I didn't even recognize was there. Hmm. And it took some, it took some um, stuff to happen in kind of my later life to get me to begin to deconstruct that a little bit and to try to figure out exactly what I thought. What do you mean so, by that? the stuff that you didn't realize? Um, yeah. So basically when trauma started to happen to me, when I started to go through things, I had to start to connect the dots about who I thought God was and where was God in the middle of the trauma? What does that mean? Which all led me really to one big question, which is where was God when Jesus died? So to jump over, you know, a bunch of steps, that's basically where all, I think our questions about suffering and problems go to ultimately. And so I really had to wrestle with that and kind of come to terms with what I, who I thought God was. And um, so that, yeah, that was a long winding process. Yeah. Okay. And you, so not to hijack where you were going with that, but you wrote, wrote a book about that, correct? I haven't read it, but I noticed one of the titles of your book was Where Was God on the Worst Day of My Life? Right. So I'm incapable of writing books with short titles <laughs> clearly <laughs> uh so the first one is where was god on the worst day of my life and then i got a book called death hope and the laughter of god and then of course this last one so yeah that that was really and that's appropriate to talk about and it's connected to this other subject of sexuality in the bible because that was a real turning point in my life so january 1st 2015 our oldest child our, our daughter was killed in a car wreck mm. so that started a whole, and I was kind of already working down that path anyhow, but it definitely sent that whole, you know, questioning narrative conversation in my life, put it on kind of hyperspeed. And I really had to wrestle with what I thought was going on. And, um, I've, I'm coming out of that, not that you ever really totally arrive out of it, but I'm coming out of that with, uh, just such a great awareness of God's love. Mm. And the reality that I, I just had confirmation that that God was with my daughter when she died. 
And in the end, I realized that's about all that's about all I know. And that's I was really thankful for that. And um, and that I thought God was with Jesus when Jesus died. So in other words, God wasn't he didn't have his back turned. Um, I don't think God needed Jesus die to get him to forgive us. Uh, but rather God, uh, rather Jesus died uh, to reveal God's heart, mm-hmm. not as a requirement of what God needed. And so the whole thing just started, it just kept getting wrapped around love. And I was in so much kind of pain that the pain excavated this big hole inside of me. And one of the things that I recognized was it allowed me then to take steps further with other controversial subjects like homosexuality, although that was not my intent. Mm -hmm. But what happened was it was like the worst thing happened to me. And so after that, I really was freed up just to ask every question and any question. And I kind of went into it, not with an antagonistic mindset, but I went into all these questions with the idea that, well, what's the worst that can happen? The worst thing for me has already happened. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to fire me. You're going to kick me out. I mean, not that I was trying to be disrespectful, but it just gave me a um, kind of a weird sense of peace. Mm -hmm. And so those two stories definitely overlap. Um, That's a lot of rambling, but they are connected for sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so... It's so true. I um, the the seeds of my faith upheaval were was the death of a child as well. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Uh, he would have been thirteen now. Wow. We lost him when he was five months. We were just a young, young married couple, just yeah. ready for all the world. Uh, right. But it for me that process started years later. It was almost at the time I, I don't think anything changed, but it, it just planted seeds that. It's, it's kind of a long story that I'm happy to talk. I've talked about before in this podcast. I'm happy to talk about it another time when, uh, so we can focus on you. But I, I just really identify with almost everything you just said um, with that has to change you. you yeah. your, your growth doesn't, great growth, was it Richard Rohr that said something like great growth rarely comes without great pain um, or great love? Like something he would say, yeah. Yeah something like that. But man, that's, do you at the time then when, what was your model for handling something like that? If that didn't happen to you, like, is there like God has a plan in this or no, just bad things happen? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's kind of embarrassing because even at that point, you know, I would have been in my um, mid forties and had been pastoring for a while. So, uh, yeah, a lot of kind of standard answers and a lot of this kind of basic idea that, you know, God is in control, though my background is uh, a Wesleyan Arminian background. So there's a there's a bit more freedom maybe than some of the reformed folks. But even with that, I hadn't really worked through it totally. And so it just forced me to really consider what all the options are. Not that I to be clear, not that I have it figured out. But it just um, it it required me to deconstruct what I was thinking, and I decided I just I just decided ultimately this whole thing is about love. I think that's our beginning and that's our ending, um, and I think love is random and love is a risk, and God is risks when He loved us. But um, and, and everything is crazy. Um, it's irrational and chaos. Um, but that God exists and subsists everything in the middle of all that. And God is love. Yeah. And if God is love, maybe God can't control. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, there's something very powerful about that and what is control and what is power. It turns out with God, powerlessness is power, which is a complete paradox. So, you know, we'll spend the rest of our lives trying to figure that out. And that's actually, I think, what I do half the time, try to figure that out. Yeah, we can't help it. When when you mentioned you were forced to deconstruct or change, or it, that's really a good word. It's almost like once the pan, that Pandora's box is open, you you almost don't have a choice unless you're going to totally check out, which some people do, and I, I don't blame them. But if you're paying attention, you almost don't have a choice to follow certain questions. Once a catalyst like the death of a child, or even you know whatever the tragedy is, like that. It has a way of forcing things on you. Oh, for sure. If you have intellectual honesty, which is a phrase I use um, a lot in the most recent book, if you have intellectual honesty, you, you just keep asking questions and you just keep going down that path. And the good news is, some, sometimes I say it this way, Jesus still works, even though kind of the form of how it used to work for me has changed. Um, Jesus and love work and it works even better. It's so beautiful. And I'm so thankful, not necessarily for the things that have happened, but for what I've learned in the process of it. And I'm, I'm thrilled with the trajectory of it all, but, but yeah, it's challenging. Yeah, definitely. Challenging. How does, how does God speak to you or how has God spoken to you through these trials? Uh, well, not as frequently as he should have. Amen to that. Yeah, and <laughs> I remind God of that frequently. Actually, yeah, no, I do, but also I don't because prayer for me has changed dramatically over the years. I don't think the primary purpose of prayer is to get God to speak to me mm-hmm. or um, or for me to get him to do what I want him to do. I think the primary purpose is to be formed in love. And it turns out that to be formed in love, um, there's a lot of silence and patience and space and waiting that has to happen and all that. So mm-hmm. I'm way less stressed about that than I used to be. But um, how has God... <sighs> you know, I mean, good Lord. I, I, I seem to hear more from God now by just taking a hike mm-hmm. than I do by you know, praying and asking him something, though I pray every right. day. I seem to hear more from God from watching a secular movie that's done really well and is really beautiful and is honest than I do by, you know, singing a worship song, though I still sing the worship songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it and hear it and feel it in so many substantive, deep, beautiful ways now that um, I tended to miss when I was younger and so why is that <laughs> i mean that's why, just a general question for all of us it's like so well, many of us see so much when we i don't know are going through life later in life such a great question and it's like gosh if you could just figure that out when you were younger you know or i'll yes. speak for myself I, I wouldn't have to have had wasted a few years I don't know. I think there's several responses. Some of it is just natural. I mean, you know, to get to one, you know, to go from one to two, it's you got to go one, two, three. It's just these steps, you know, three is always the next thing after two, four is after three. And so it's all a building process. So really nothing is wasted. I believe that's really true. Um, 
for me, a lot of it had to do, and I, I have a suspicion this is true of a lot of American Christians, a lot of it had to do with evolving in my understanding that God is not some objective thing out there somewhere that I pray to, and then, then I try to get him to break into my dimension, but rather he's around us and with us all the time. I mean, it's the beauty of the incarnation. It's the beauty of the whole Emmanuel, God with us. Um, my tradition growing up, we tended to talk more about, you know, trying to get out of our problems and go get to God. And even our, our eschatology, you know, we got to leave this place to get somewhere. And what I just kept getting oppressed with, especially after my daughter died, was the reality that God was already there. And so I didn't need to get him there. I needed to open myself up to the reality of him being there. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, why? Yeah, we're just wired to... We want the quick fix, and right. we want that objective God, and, and if, if it works for us. And by the way, it does work for some people for a while. My wife and I talk about how things work until they don't work anymore. <laughs> so you do something, and it works, and it kind of makes sense until you run up against a problem. And then, yeah, then you got some decisions you got to make. Yeah, life gives you something. Here's a new set of questions you never thought existed. Yeah. And you have to find answers to, or at least explore. And then it's just a whole new, it's what makes life so meaningful, I think, you, is the healthy version of that. I, and I actually have grown to really, really enjoy it. It took me a while. Um, I wished I had, you know, kind of developed. I was a terrible student when I was younger. Um, I just, well, just, yeah, I just, you know, trying to have fun. As you guys pop the beer cans, I'm about being a terrible student. <laughs> um, you know, and I was pretty sanguine and life was relatively easy. Although my family, we dealt with some stuff over the years. So, um, yeah, it just, life invites you to think about it and either you do or you suppress it. Well, there's so much in how we react or respond to the challenges and the you know, the horrible things that happen in life. I mean, there's pain. There's going to be pain. Nobody gets nobody gets out of this world without going through um, tragedy in some form. And I, I feel like I'm just waiting for something to happen in my life. Like, the, like, and I'm like, okay, I'll be ready to like respond in such a great way. And it's going to, I know it's going to hit me from the back side. And I'm not going to know. Uh, what to do and yeah. in in those moments um god help me to you know just to not run from pain and That's a good one to um and to 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 even rest in it and um yeah. and you know father take me through this cuz yeah. I hear that from people a lot, um, and you probably, you know, everyone goes through stuff, and it's all relative. It's not like one right. person is necessarily worse than another. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely get that response a lot. Like people will say, "Well, I haven't gone anything, you know, like what you've gone through." Um, and I do think the responsibility for all of us then, as we build faith communities, is to try to encourage all of us to build spaces into our life, you know, consistently where we are. Uh, centering ourselves on um, and, and waiting on God. And there's a type of death in that kind of approach to God, like a daily, almost like I'm, 
I don't want it to be legalistic at all, um, but that's been really helpful for me to just locate myself in that and, and make sure I spend a lot of time not necessarily requesting, though I definitely request from God, but also to really consider uh, all the implications of the ridiculous freaking things that are, that are out there. And the more I do that, it's just developed an ability to wait in it. And so then when the bad things happen and they kind of keep happening for some of us, um, I'm able to just lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, there was a quote I had read or heard uh, a few months ago and it was, uh, be a blessing to others while you are waiting on me for you. Mm. And so in the middle of, whatever you're going through, you want something, but be, be the hands and feet of Jesus in the middle of your, you know, maybe the worst moments of your life, which is so hard, but. Yeah. Um, and I would take that even a, maybe even a step further. And I, I totally agree with the sentiment of that, but, um, I've been a bit hesitant over the last few years. I'm, I'm less likely now to say to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'm more likely to say something like just be yourself. Because it's fascinating when you think about what God did. God became us. So if you want to be like God, you might do it best by being yourself because God became human. Mm -hmm. So in my tradition, we spent so much time talking about, you know, wanting to be like God. It got a little got a little weird. I'm not saying that that was necessarily your case. That sounds weird. (laughs) It does, actually. You know, when you come at it from the outside, like if you didn't grow up in that, it is a bit weird. Mm -hmm. So the beauty that I'm that I've kind of been on the journey the last several years has been more of, you know what, uh, God became like us anyhow. So why don't I just be myself, live in my humanity, recognize that God's already here, He's all around us, and um, He's He's working from the inside out. So, yeah. Go ahead, well, Scott. Yeah, I want to hear from you. At the same time, that's that's a recognition that wh- whatever we are or are proclivities, um, our personality might not be, um, uh, what we want, uh, to be. I know I, I, I do a lot of things that I don't want to do. I keep doing them. Um, mm. I know I upset these guys a lot and, uh, they would, they want me to change. And I, I agree partially with that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's also a recognition of, uh, there are things that we do need to change to be more like Christ um, sure. in, in his example, and not just like ourselves, whatever we are. And then we you know, just keep doing the same stupid things that I do. Yeah. yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good point. It's the whole movement towards being formed in Christ, being formed in love. And um, yeah, there's a variety of different things that are happening there. But I think the goal is to to be influenced by love, to want to do that, as opposed to, you know, having that uh kind of hung over your head or forced into that, which so easily happens. Yeah. So guys, back off, man. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I object to the way he phrased that we want him to change. And I would want to dive into that a lot, but we'll do that after <laughs> we're done with you. <laughs> that needs to be debriefed a bit. Yeah. Um, what you said about being, just be you, the, the, it reminds me of another quote that, it was super powerful, and I don't remember. It might have been Walter Brueggemann, but it was, it was like how how is a tree? It's like how do how do we worship God? Because I really struggle with worship, especially mm-hmm. post. I was going to ask you about worship and prayer and all that stuff post losing a child, but 
I've found that worship and petitionary prayer, we'll just call it, are really difficult. I don't do them like I used to, and I'm not even sure how to define what the way I want to do them. So that's a work in progress. But the quote is something like, how is a tree worship God? It's it's just perfectly a tree. Yeah. It, it doesn't have an awareness that's going to like get get in the weeds and struggle with shame about, oh, maybe, my, maybe I'm not tall enough as a tree. Maybe my bark is too rough, you know? All the things that we as humans get caught up in because of our self-consciousness and awareness and shame and uh, and just that idea of trying to move closer towards that freedom of just being human, uh, no, recognizing, Scott, that it doesn't mean you get to do anything you want, but uh, there's I'm unpacking to be done with that, but the idea is beautiful of just releasing the need to perform for everybody, including God, and allowing yourself to settle into who you are, no matter what that looks like. Absolutely. Um, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. We actually don't have to change to to get his attention. He's with us already. He loves us. Um, he cares about us. Now, will we change? Yeah. Once you start to interact with love, it'll start to critique the way that you live and it'll start to, you know, be subversive in your life and kind of carve out in, in, in ways you didn't even probably anticipate. Painfully That's even. Painfully even. Um, I don't think it's love's intention to be painful. I think that the forces that work against love has that intention. But then love is so close to pain that sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference. Mm. Um, it's like there's an old preacher illustration. What's the difference between uh, testing and temptation? Um, it's kind of like, how does it go? Like the, It's the difference between the guy who stabs you in the alley and um, and the guy who operates on you. Like like they're, they're both wear masks. They both use sharp knives and they're, they're both going to take your money. But the guy who operates on you has, you know, an intention of good, yeah. you know, and you're barely going into it. And yet, it, so they're so close. The difference between pain and, and love is in the middle of it all. When I, when I wrote, I think the second book, I dealt with that a lot. Like I kept, I kept thinking about how close God was, um, in fact, we don't even have language. How close? He's so intimate. How close he was when my daughter died. And after a while, I had this suspicion creep in the back of my mind. And I had this thought one day, like, wait a minute. Is this like a murderer returning to the scene of his crime? He's so mm -hmm. freaking close, you know. And I kept playing, playing the things that led up to that moment all day long over and over. And and finally, I, you know, I kind of had to work through all that. And I'm still working through all that. But But the reality of how... You know, God, he's either is so close that he's either the perpetrator or he's something else. And I think what he is, is he's just it's just love. He's just with us. He's so intimate and so personal. So anyhow, sorry, I'm rambling about the That's idea okay. of pain, but uh, it's it's worthy of rambling, I guess. Yeah, the word I think Scott's going to probably help me out here. I'm not going to pretend to try to pronounce it. Discombobulated. No, <laughs> good guess, though. That's I'll give you two more. No, it's um, when they were coming up with the concept of the Trinity or kind of crystallizing that. Homoousius? Something like that. Versus homoousius. But it's, it's like... I'm getting this, those wrong. I'm, I got one of them right. Anyway. Yeah. And I'll just believe you because you said it reasonably confidently. <laughs> I'll just go so with that. Uh, but the idea of... It's almost, it's almost... It's so intimate. It's kind of sexual. It's this mutual interpenetration 
that yeah. is describing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which I think is like the a description of kind of the perfect relationship and really I think what God would like us all to realize about about his character that the, that closeness is is a reality we're just often in the way I think I don't know I think that invulnerability that's involved with all that yeah. and the allowing the relationship to go to a place where you, you know you have to be vulnerable and and you, you're risking and loves in the middle of all of that. I, I actually think that's the whole thing. I think that's, I think God is relationship and that we are created in relationships, image and likeness. And um, we don't need to be saved as much as we need to have our minds and hearts opened up to how to be a real life human being. And relationship is the thing, man. And all the laws in the Old Testament, you know, if we want to talk about laws, they're they're all, they're not like these arbitrary list of things that, you know, that's not what defines sin. Sin is relational lawlessness. It's the inability or actually the unwillingness to relate to my brother and sister um, in the way that that love or God would want us to. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's really, really important. You're on the right track. Hmm. We may not know the right words, but we're on the right track. Right, exactly. Um so, man, I could talk to you for a long time, but I realize we can't. So let's get to the book a little bit. Uh, before, what? before we start, can I just say I got a bone to pick? Sure. Oh, I bet you do. Um, I mean, come on, you talk about all this love stuff, and then like the introduction, you're like, you know, only an insane person would talk to themselves. I, I talk to myself all the time. What are you saying, man? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Anyway, next that. next question. That. Next question. Yeah. Uh, it, it's okay. Question. I don't, he, I don't he, understand that comment, but as long as you guys understand it, we're good. Do I need to quote it? He's taking it personally. Yeah, read the quote. Oh, yeah. it's something I wrote. Yeah, it's in the new book. Or the okay, what did book. I? We'll get to the bottom of this. You, you said. You said. Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. And yeah. Scott took it personally. Yeah, of course, personal. he did. You said only only an insane only insane people have conversations with themselves. Yes. How dare you? So yes, I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking of you when I wrote that. So. Well, you, Gosh, obviously you listen to our podcast. You're so, so prophetic. The shoe fits. Yeah. So how did you get? What was was there a catalyst moment that led to these questions? Because the whole book is on the questions that got you kicked out of your denomination. Right, right, what, right. Were there any catalyst moments that led you to start asking those questions? Obviously, the, the death of a child is a big one, but what about the um, I'll just LGBTQ plus issue? Uh, what about that? What were the trigger points for that? That's a great question. I don't have a real. It was a variety of things that happened, and it was certainly it certainly was happening in the context of of loss. Mm -hmm. And so I started to reshape my whole idea of what I thought atonement was. And, um, and so now all of a sudden all my anxiety that I didn't even really know existed kind of, uh, just decreased. And so I was relaxed enough to realize that, no, no, I don't need to perform. God loves me. We're cool. We got this. Um, what's, you know, what's the worst that can happen to me if I start to arrive at conclusions that I had previously not held? So that was important. Obviously, I've had people in our churches over the years who have identified uh, all across the spectrum. And probably like all of us, I'm 
I've constantly been confused about that. And I, to be clear, I still am confused. I don't exactly know all what exactly is going on, but I, I started to see people more for who they are. I would now I'd like to think I wasn't really anti-gay or anything before all this happened. Um, but I know I was a part of systems that were, um, and it started really just bothering me when I was connecting the dots and recognizing that these are real human beings. And then a real turning point came. I mean, we could talk about all this stuff, but a real massive turning point came for me when I started to read Rene Girard. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rene Girard, but he's the whole scapegoat. Yeah. Mimetic theory thing. And that, that was really the piece that kind of pushed me over the edge because I recognized that what I believed was that Jesus didn't die because God needed him to, but Jesus died because basically we, humanity, couldn't deal with their issues. And so in an attempt to offload, you know, all of our animosities onto someone, you know, we, we put them onto Jesus, just like, and we've been doing this, Gerard says, throughout all of time. That's how basically civilization has been built. It just keeps repeating itself. Just keeps repeating itself. Just keeps over and over and over. And Jesus steps in as the scapegoat to end all scapegoating. And so when I really started to buy into that and see that and read the scriptures that way, you know, my next logical question was, okay, wait a minute, who are we scapegoating now? Cause it's always somebody. And I realized, well, that's, I mean, there's several people, but it's really obvious we, we're scapegoating LGBTQ plus people. And so, um, like I say in the book, while there's ambiguity and there really is about the four or maybe six verses uh, six passages out of 31,000 verses in the Bible that deal with homosexuality. There is not ambiguity about scapegoating. Clearly, the trajectory of Scripture is leading us to a spot where to be fully human, we need to recognize other people as humans and to not offload our animosities onto them. So, and having grown up in the church, it was just so obvious. I mean, when I was young, I heard the preacher preach against divorce frequently. Um, well, that started to change, and it started to change not because Scripture changed. It started to change because culture changed. And there were so many people getting divorced. I mean, what was the preacher going to do? I mean, you can't just kick everyone out. You can't keep everyone. You know, we used to not have people sing or not have people teach a class. And are, and are you kidding? Certainly there were no pastors that were ever divorced. No, so, and that's, definitely not. That's just one example of our scapegoating tendency and in my experience all throughout life, you know, I just I saw hundreds of those or I don't know, maybe dozens of those. And the LGBTQ plus thing became the latest. And I was like, look, that's I mean, that's not acceptable. <laughs> it's just it's not right. So I had to ask more questions about that. Do, do you think that with, um, you know, you, you said that. Um, uh, the, the, essentially, the culture change or society change and scripture didn't change. Right. So from from your perspective, um, should the or the church, let's say this particular uh, uh, congregation, mm -hmm. uh, are, are, do you think that they sh they should have continued to um, speak out against divorce and continue to um, prohibit? or limit uh, where people are uh, serve in the congregation. Do you, I mean, do you, is that, is that what you are, are you saying that we should 
uh, stick to more conservative interpretations because that, you know, the Bible is telling us to do that rather than listen to where the culture is going. Yes. I, that, that's what I say. I'm asking if, if yeah. that's what you, you are thinking, that they should have continued what they were doing with, with divorce and not gone with the culture. Oh, gosh. So there's a variety of different things that I think factor into that. But my simple answer is no. I actually think that we are so formed by culture. Like what is um, – so Peter Drucker says, you know, culture eats ideology for lunch every day. Mm. And we're, we're formed by culture. We like to think we're formed because, you know, we're really intelligent and we know the right way to read scripture. Or we know, you know, we've been educated or, or we've evolved. But it's really a combination of a lot of forces that we don't we're not even aware of. And so culture, it's inevitable. It is going to change. So the beautiful thing for me about Jesus and about love and about grace and mercy is it's so intimate and it's so flexible that it can work in any system. Um, And so it just keeps morphing and transitioning and changing and humanity and culture keeps changing. And it's like this. Stuff is interacting all the time. Uh, it's very complex and interesting. I don't think our answer is to keep going back to exactly what the Bible says, given that, I mean, I, I say this with a grain of salt, and you, we kind of have to unpack that a little bit. But is given a large that, grain sea salt? <laughs> it's a Himalayan. salt, yes, please. Um, given that scripture was written, you know, a couple of thousand years ago, um, and the way it came to be handed to us through the translations and through all the different permutations that happened, I think the essence, the beauty, the ins- I think that the Bible's inspired, but what it's inspired to do is lead us to Jesus. I, I don't think the actual words themselves uh, are necessarily inspired. So trying to answer your question, well, first of all, I, I wouldn't wish anyone would get a divorce. So that's certainly not the point. But... Um, there's a lot of factors that go into why someone would get a divorce. Yeah. Now, now if, if, um, it, so, so if, if let's say I, I'm, I'm, I say that the Bible is, our, is the standard and we shouldn't cave to culture. Culture isn't the standard. The Bible is. Yeah. And, and whether or not we're doing it is, is, is a debt is, is a, is a point of our failure, our departure from scripture so just because we're doing it doesn't mean that oh that that's okay. So I but I but I guess if 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 you're saying that more more that as culture changes and we're we're looking at the Bible and they're kind of just you know in this dance. Um, I don't know if you use that word, but um, if culture well, that that would only be in our Western culture. So then there are other cultures today, um, right. but even in Western culture, if Western culture reverted or even if we just go back um 60 70 years um then then the the idea of lgbt acceptance is or uh, i'm sorry lgbt non-acceptance then that's okay to not accept them because the culture um doesn't accept them so i i, I just from my perspective, you're trying to flip the argument on its head and say it can go badly. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, because if culture is our standard, and so I, I, I and I'm not sure if that's exactly what you're saying, but I'm just from my perspective, 
Yeah. We shouldn't. It's like reading sure, the Bible yeah. through the culture instead of reading the Bible for what it is. Yeah. It's, well, and yeah. also, so this is under. Uh, keep, keep in mind, we know <laughs> there's so many cans of worms yeah. that we just opened. Uh, yeah. No, so it's all good. Feel free to jump in and and keep us on the straight and narrow so we can land this uh, yeah. and be respectful yeah. of your time. Yeah. But um, what the Bible is, I I think. So me coming to the opinion that, oh my gosh, these people who, the, the way the Bible was formed and the people who wrote it and the editing and all that stuff, these people were just as influenced by their culture than any of us reading it. So it's like this exponential math that goes on of cultural lenses, as opposed to when I was young, it was like, well, you have the words there. That's what God wanted to give you. And there's no questions asked. And that's a huge difference. So wherever you're jumping off from is going to change the way you see all, all the, not just LGBTQ stuff. It's going to be how you see everything is going to change based on what inspiration means to you. So that's kind of what we're scratching I, the surface on, but it's huge. Yeah. And I think I would agree with a lot of that. And I think there's a lot of, um, it's, it's nuanced, but the, I think the reality is we all read this, the text through our lens, um, and literally the text was written through a particular lens, and and now we're trying to interpret it from um, a long ways away, and there are a lot of inherent problems with all of that, and we have to just be open to the reality that culture does change. Jesus, I don't think, changes. Love never changes, um, but cultures do, and when you are honest about pastoring and shepherding and being with people— you have to recognize that, you know, their humanity has been pressed and conformed and constricted and skewed and is changed by culture. So it's just the reality to bring it all together. Sometimes, you know, people get off. I'm not hearing you guys necessarily say this, but I, I've certainly gotten accused of this. Of, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. That's why I said that we had to have a time limit at some point. Yeah. <laughs> No, people will accuse me of caving to culture. And one of the things, one of the ways I've learned to respond to that is, well, what do you mean? Because, because our, our, our Christianity is a type of culture. Uh, it's actually a type of subculture. Mm-hmm. So you're just elevating your culture over my culture. And, and usually those people are people who have a very, you know, conservative, restrictive, I say restic- restrictive view. It's still culture because no one reads the Bible word for word, literally. None of us read it word for word in Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic. And even if we did, we don't know every single exact thing that was going on in the context of those days. So it is, it all gets interpreted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No. no, I think I was, I think I was done. I just made a brilliant point. Yeah, you did. <laughs> sure, okay. Pause. Scott was even nodding his head. <laughs> um, but Zach, going back to uh, what, what you said, um, that from from my perspective, it, um, it they were like let's say the prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus and the apostles, um, they they are in a particular culture, and I, I from from my view, I, I'm I'm obligated to say in my opinion um, because of Zach, uh, but really I say that's the correct opinion. Um, (laughs) uh, but, um, we, we are in our, our cultural context as well. 
if we try to equate the two and say that they're equal, that that us being in our culture is the same, is like them being in their culture. I don't think that that is a good way, a, a good interpretive lens uh, for scripture. Because I would agree with you. I, I because the apostles. Well, thank you, Zach. Uh, the the. I, I, I trust, I'm going to disagree with whatever you're going to say next, but I agree I, with that. I trust the apostles in their context, um, being taught by Jesus directly, w- w- far beyond I trust someone in the 21st century America in their cultural context. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so, so I'm I I'm not saying it's they're they're equal or that it's their culture, our culture. Let's call the whole thing off. Uh, it, it's it's that's not the dichotomy I'm I'm going at. So I, I don't want to like. I'd love to talk about that maybe after this. Seems like no matter what is going on in the culture, you would Jonathan, you would say that loving people, no matter what's going on in the culture, um, cuts through everything. Yeah, the lens of love is one of the. That's a chapter title, I think. Yeah. And and I and some of it has to do too with how you view the Bible. If you view the Bible as, you know, kind of this rule book, which a lot of us uh, don't necessarily say that until we start to talk about LGBTQ stuff and then we revert back to that. So if it's a rule book, um man, that makes it tough because there are a lot of there's a lot of variances to what we all do across the board and sexually to who all of us are. Um, I don't view it as a rule book anymore. I, I view it as this evolving, um, interactive thing that happens. And I'm not trying to elevate my culture over an older culture. H- however, um, I do recognize that I have benefited from, you know, I'm a couple thousand years down the road in terms of evolved thinking. So take, for example, an issue like slavery. While there is no particular spot in the Bible that says slavery is wrong, um, I've benefited from being a part of these cultures that have gone through immense pain and critique and love has challenged us and we've learned and we're okay with saying, oh no, slavery is wrong, even though there's no place in the Bible that necessarily says that. Right. It's it's odd to me that we can do that with that or let's say women in leadership and ministry, depending on the tradition that you come from. And yet we can't do that with sexuality. We still go back to those, again, four or maybe six passages. um, And we try to interpret those so constrictive and say, well, the Bible says here, but we don't say it in other places. So it's challenging. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to say our culture is better. I'm not trying to say I'm smarter. I'm just trying to say I happen to have benefited from some things that Apostle Paul, he wasn't aware of, I don't think. Right, and the cultural backdrop of a patriarchal society that we are not so much in compared to the New Testament days and all throughout the Bible, the, the backdrop of patriarchy is through through everything. So Absolutely. that doesn't mean it's the intention. I mean, some people think that's what, back to what you said about the rule book. If it's a rule book or a a universal blueprint for all time beyond its own time, then I don't blame people for coming up with some of the more strict interpretations. 
Right. But if, if we recognize the actual cultural backdrop that these writers were writing through, um, then it, it does open a whole new world of, it almost makes Bible interpreting more difficult because there's more options. There's like a million options as a, well, I think that's my point is, is that if, if it's not wrong for them to say what they said, that, that based upon their culture, then us today in a different culture can't look, can't say that they were wrong for doing X, Y, Z. That's not an argument that I would make. I I wouldn't say that. But your art, what I'm saying is that your, your, your argument is from our culture today is different than their culture. So I just, how do we, how how do we, it makes it super complicated. Well, if that's your position, yes. My position is that it's not dependent on their culture, our culture. It's as Jesus rooted, you know, man and woman, uh, you know, back to creation. Uh, but well, you know, one of the things with the rule book, uh, Jonathan, if I may, um, I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not I guess I'm not a stru- strict rule bookist, but um, I am a rule bookist, if if, if that's a word. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things one of the things you said at the end of chapter six, I think it's chapter six, um, in, in Kindle it doesn't give page numbers. I don't I don't know what's up with that Bezos. Um, it's <laughs> you uh, you you um, you said um, what's your reaction to the following sentence? Love compels all of us, regardless of orientation, to be cautious with sex. It is a gift that realizes its true potential only within committed monogamous relationships. Um, with the, let's say, lens of not being a rule book, where or why do you think committed monogamous relationships is the correct context for, I mean, I would, and I would think for all time. No, that was good right but, there. Yeah. That was a great, yeah. that was a good question. Yeah. Good job, Scott. That's a good question. So how did I come up with that if I'm not using the Bible as a rule book? Sure. Um, I think a variety of ways. I mean, cause I think we learn best. I think we can learn how to relate to each other through other ways than just the Bible. I mean, back to one of the first questions, how do, how do you hear from God? I don't think you just hear from God from Scripture. Um, you hear from God from a variety of different ways. Um, and I think actually God works in and through our culture sometimes and works through a song or a poem or music or relationships or problems or and texts and also other beautiful ancient literature and wisdom. So um, I can make that claim based on all of those aforementioned things and based on interacting with people over the years and based on my own you know, personal uh, experiences, I do think it's best realized in a monogamous relationship. And I, I could see how some people might say, oh, well, you're being uh, hypocritical because you're, you're trying to say that the Bible is not a rule book, but now you're trying to create a rule. I, I'm actually not trying to create a rule. I'm actually trying to say I think that that's probably the best way to look at it. Uh, it's probably the healthiest approach, but if someone doesn't approach it that way, I don't think that means that God, you know, dislikes them or kicks them out or sends them to hell or, or back to the context of LGBTQ stuff, you know, categorically up front says you can't be a part of our church, you know, and so now we're going to create a human sexuality statement that says so. Um, so 
I think you take and you use a variety of different pieces of like intelligence and wisdom and grace to try to determine what you think is the healthiest way to approach anything, but especially sexuality, because it's such a powerful, energized thing. And sexuality controls a lot of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kingdoms are brought to ruin over it. Yeah. It's such a simple, it's such a, not simple, but it's such a powerful, sometimes very short and incredible moment. And it has destroyed the best of people. It's, it's in, amazing in how you use it. Yeah, the intersection, I think the intersection of our souls happens there. We bring so much of ourselves into it. Other people bring so much to it at the same time. There's a lot that goes on. Well, but, that's what it said, as you're joining, like you're being joined to mm-hmm. that person. That's yeah. powerful. So I, I just, I want to be clear, I'm careful about, I, I'm not trying to elevate our culture. I'm trying to say that there are, there are things in scripture that, um, that don't necessarily match up and that disagree even with itself. And we have to back up and ask questions about all that and give us space and grace to ask those questions and not be so quick to say, well, you know, the Bible says, you know, gay people, you know, being gay is wrong. First of all, I'm not even exactly sure that's what it says. But I'm not even sure we understand our, our idea of what gay is versus, you know, the, whoever the dude was who put down the code in Leviticus about being gay. I, I don't even really think they're the same thing. So all of us use interpretation to to try to figure out everything in the Bible, why not extend that kind of hospitality and grace to the whole uh, subject matter now, especially uh, in light of the fact that so many people have, have been scapegoated and the church has become, well, the religious system always winds up being judgmental. And and certainly in my case, I thought that it was. And so I thought, hey, these are reasonably intelligent questions to ask. Yeah. And, and in that in that vein, those questions, and I guess we didn't specifically lay out that you were questioning the traditional model of sexuality in the church, and like, uh, and that got you banned from your, from your denomination. In the book, I you come across as, and I believe it, very charitable to the people that you knew and operated with in the church. How mm. did you maintain that? What were there moments of not feeling that way that you had to beat back? Cause you know, getting kicked out of some place that you belong. Like you, I think you mentioned you're like the third pastor in your family in that denomination. There's like a generational yeah, generation. thing going on, but yet you're very charitable. Uh, are you lying to us when you're that charitable or well, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> there are times when I'm lying. You definitely, um, so a couple of things. First of all, clarify. It, it, technically, I didn't get kicked out. I okay. just kept getting deemed out of alignment with the theology. And so basically, I would present some questions, and they would respond by saying, well, I think you're out of alignment. And then oh, I would... Un- uninvited is the word in the title. I'm sorry. That's why I chose that word. I thought yeah. that was a good word. So, yeah. so I would I would keep responding by saying, no, wait a minute. I, I don't think I'm out of alignment because... And then I would come back with some of these questions, and many of them, or all of them, wound up in the book. Um which they then in turn were unable to answer. And eventually, you know, there's, I mean, I thought come after a while, I knew where this was all going to go. And they just, that, that was the answer. You're out of alignment, you're out of alignment. And finally, I said, what am I going to do? I, I can't ask any more of these questions. I took it to the highest people. And, um, and meanwhile, trying to pastor and, and lead a church in the middle of all that was super challenging and complex. So finally, um, technically, I agreed that I was out of alignment. 
So I thought an uninvited was the best word. So I, I want to back off from saying I got kicked out or banned. That was my, those are my words. Yeah, the effect was the same. And to your to answer your question in terms of charitability, um, no, mostly I'm a punk and I have <laughs> and I'm a loser. Um, however, I'm so thankful. You know, I'm 51 now, and I've thought many times over the last couple of years, had I had this stuff happen to me at age 31, I I would have made a wreck out of it. Well, actually, some people think I made a wreck anyhow. Yeah, but I definitely would have. But because of the things I've gone through, it's forced me to really consider how hypocritical and ironic would it be for me to point out the scapegoating tendencies of the church and then for them to have then for them to scapegoat me, which is what happened. And then for me then to turn around and to scapegoat them back over the whole thing. All it does is recycle, uh, you know, death and all of its friends. I was just listening to Coldplay today. It just recites the revenge over and over and over and so I had to and continue to have to pray and to seek humility and to be a person of love, to talk about love. Otherwise, I've actually done more damage than good. And so I've worked really hard at that. I'm thankful that that came through in the book. I've had lots of people tell me, and by lots of people, I mean nine. Um, <laughs> lots of people tell me that, you know, I was too charitable and I should have like, you know, whatever, you know, been more aggressive. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I should have given the fact that I think that real life human beings are being scapegoated and hurt, you know, maybe I should have, but also I'm like really suspicious with me now because I have a bit of anti-establishment in me and that's a beast, man. And if I feed it too much, it kind of runs wild. It's, it's not good for me. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to hold all that intention. It's one of the reasons why I I like I like you. I think I was picking up on the anti-establishment. Like that's a similar um, similar beast for me to deal with. And and like you're saying about being careful. Not we, we humans are so quick to become the monsters we're fighting against. Absolutely. I was just listening to uh, Richard Dawkins was on Joe Rogan, and hearing the way that guy talks about God and the way. Even Joe was like religion doesn't believe in God necessarily, but he's like so lights out after death, and the way Dawkins answers it is just so like emphatic. I'm like, you're kind of doing the the version of Christianity that you hate, but for your own, with your own purposes. You're, you're you're coming at it with a fundamentalist type of atheism, which is the very thing you're fighting against. Yeah, uh, totally agree with that. And we've, you know, in the, in the church, uh, religion has systematized it and has called it sacred and holy. And it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Half of what we do is is messed up. And I don't think God, I don't think God is in that. So love has critiqued all of that in me for sure and challenged with that with me. And it's an everyday thing. So, yeah, I'm working on it. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's, I mean, that's a good point that, that the Catholic Church hasn't always been the dogma they became the dogma something else existed before that you so at some point at some point something else will just in general become the fundamentalism yeah and if you want to are you, are you are you trying to establish that or or you instantly yeah. you instantly forget there's probably a cognitive bias with a scientific name behind it but when you change your brain protects you from 
believing that you used to think the way those other people did, even though you did. Because it could be right. It, you, no, that, I'm just that's saying, true. Like, yeah. I, that's true. I'm not speaking against that for sure. But it is like we definitely forget where we used to be. And when we come across the people that used to be where we're at, we hate it. And I, instead of blaming Richard Dawkins, I'll just speak for myself. Like I, that was especially in the midst of a full on deconstruction that was painful. And it felt like the loss of another loved one because my identity was so tied to what I believe the Bible was. That's a good way to say it. It, it yeah. was, um, I, I really struggle. I think I'm a lot better now, but Scott can attest to the fact of my attitude when we're having our arguments was very uh, dehumanizing in the way I see other people that were just where I used to be. So consider this a little bit of repentance, Scott, and don't bring it up again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and I I think to go, if I may add to that, um, that even if you want to deconstruct or uh, it, it doesn't have to be the opposite of what, no, doesn't. what you believe before. I think a lot of people don't aren't aware they yeah. are deconstructing. <laughs> it could be tweaks like yeah. just, just, just a little tweak and like, oh, okay, that's, 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 that's yeah, better, I think part of the problem know? is that deconstruction is so flammable. Yeah. You know, just, it takes off quickly and, and especially if you're angry or hurt or frustrated and there are a, uh, well, the hurt is real. There, most of America is, and and frankly, a lot of them are because of the church, and so they're frustrated. They they have a hell. In my opinion, it's a hell-driven, fear-based. You know, those are the presuppositions that we bring into this whole religion thing. So there's this anxiety that exists anyhow. Ironically, in the very place that is supposed to be, you know, the place of peace, and so then uh, you get into that, and so then you start deconstructing. And the, but the goal is reconstruction. You know, that's the goal. The goal is, you know, you rip up the shag carpet and you find the beautiful mahogany old wood floors underneath. And or you peel off the old wallpaper and you see this beautiful mural and, and you realize at least this is the way it was for me. Oh, this thing, this love thing is so much deeper than I ever imagined. And it's been around forever and ever and ever. And actually, the early church was way more about it than probably most of the Americanized West Christianity is about it. So, but it's, I, I do have a, I do have a question. That's so beautiful. And I yes, was about sorry, to, go ahead. Go ahead. no, I, I know you have a question. I was about to jump off that and no, go for it. End it. But if you have no, a question, no, I, no, I, I, I want to, uh, probably want to take a couple minutes. And, um, so it, I don't want to lose that. Point to ask the made. question. Okay. It'll take me a couple minutes to ask a question. And then <laughs> I don't know where we go from there, but, but I, I just, um, at, yeah. But no, I don't want to lose that ask, point. Ask no, no, no. I, he, he just made the point and you had a... I, no, I don't want to lose that. He, are you giving us permission to ask a question? <laughs> are you giving Scott permission? It, Would you it, please ask the question? It's, it's, but it, it goes back to a previous topic. So I... Okay, you're good. Okay, Let's okay. Okay, sorry. I, I apologize, Zach, for you ruining for that point. You asked for okay. it, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is on you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no, it's probably on me. All right, so hey... Um, First of all, thanks for coming on, man. That's great. <laughs> oh boy. It's like, oh, man, what am I being No, it, it's it's just it's just about um the uh, the uh, the term that's translated usually as homosexual in First Corinthians yeah. uh, uh, six nine and and First Timothy one ten. So in, in the in the book and I um, it's chapter the end of chapter five, um, 
And you you mentioned that um, it's unclear how specifically, uh, but it seems unclear how to specifically define the issue, the etymology, the Greek word, right? And then you quote David Bentley. Um, so you say, and then you say, I'm not attempting to be wishy-washy here. I'd love for there to be more clarity, but it's just not outlandish to say that we're not 100% certain what all this meant in the context of Paul's writings. Right. My understanding of this of this Greek word in in First Corinthians six nine of of arsenikoites, um, and and I think that's good, Scott. <laughs> and I think everyone agrees um, that this word is only used in this this way in, in the new in the New Testament as a first usage usage of those those words or those letters in you know in a string. Um, but from what from what I've from what I understand is that it's not wholly um, unknown where Paul gets these words from. So he doesn't just string together random letters to make up a completely new word that no one no one has any idea what this word means. And I think it's the 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 very thing that um, I think the the gay affirming. Uh, community wants to use in that that it's a unique word i think i think that kind of works against the argument because yes it's a it's for, used for the first time in the new testament it's taking long in two minutes jeff sorry you're good um it's used for the first time in the new in the new testament in that way but that means that we're limited on where on, on how we can understand what this word means. So what's the question? So the only the only place that we have that's a statement. I'm just kidding. Keep going. <laughs> the on, the only place that we have to understand what this word means is in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. Those words arson and coite that man and bed or lie um that when it says that man shall not lie with a man as one lies with a woman, that, that that's the only, the, or, or, or our only reference where these two words are associated with each other. Um, so I was just, I'm just wondering if you've come across that, um, that idea before um, and what you think, you know, what you think about that. And if you haven't, it's fine. And, um, but, but I was just wondering about that. Cause you didn't, you didn't yeah. mention in, in the, in the book. Uh, first of all, you know, we're giving you a hard time by taking a long time to ask the question, but that is part of the problem with this whole issue. It does take a long time to ask the questions because yeah. it's nuanced. And yeah. part of my pushback has been, uh, at least in, within my tradition, has been let's create space where we can actually have these dialogues. Right. So, right. And, so I, call, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my question. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're also addicted to the short, you know, pithy uh, soundbite answer. Um, so I'm not an expert on this, and I'm, I'm really only able to read. Um, I read, and I, I gave some really good resources, I think. James Allison has been a fantastic resource for me, um, and he's a tremendous Catholic theologian. Um, and we talked, actually, actually we emailed back and forth in person about this passage. I listed a couple of other guys there in the text that I, I can't recall their name offhand. But, um, you know, you can reference Leviticus with this word. The problem for me was— and continues to be, every time I reference another piece of scripture, I have more questions. I have questions about Leviticus. You know, I have questions about how how you are supposed to um, 
kill your neighbor, you know, stone your neighbor who is gay, but also in the same, you know, Leviticus 19 says to love your neighbor. And I, I'm right. trying to, in a real world, realistically pose the question, how do you love your neighbor and kill your neighbor at the same time? Even if Paul is saying that this is exactly wrong, it still leads us back to how do we flesh that out? How do we flesh that out with our neighbor? Well, mm. we have to decide if, if we're going to follow the Bible, then we have to stone that person. And if we don't stone, then we have to come up with reasons for why we don't. And I think that leads back to grace and mercy and love and being able to be um, aware of the complexity of the issue and then pastor people and walk with them and journey with them through it. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I do like that. Um, and, I, and I don't think that um, – well, actually, I know that stoning is not the answer. Um, but uh, for what – But a good question is why Why would you not think that? So. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I have it. <laughs> um, so yeah. So um, we I, I, we have in the New Testament um, a guidance for how we do church and when we come together. And so I, I in First Corinthians five. So this is right before six when when Paul uses that word in a, in a string of other sins, idolatry, um, coveting, and and what and whatnot. Um, so he says, I wrote, this is 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or, and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But I actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reviler or a drunkard or a swindler not even to eat with such a one. Um, so I, I kind of sounds like he contradicts himself there, in a, in a way. Well, uh, um, so so I think that that is the direction that as as the church we're supposed to take that uh, an immoral person. But Zach, what do you mean contradicts himself? Because you'd have to leave the world if you weren't going to associate with those people. Well, no, a so if a so-called brother. Um, let me let me let me go back to that. Oh, I, I got, I got what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world, but actually wrote to you not to associate with a so-called brother if okay. he is an immoral person. Yeah. All right. So, so that would be my. So, I think that is the response to people engaged in this activity: the unrepentant person who has has this type of lifestyle as a means of practice. Um, so, it's not to stone them; it's to excommunicate them. Um, if they're unrepentant. Yep. And please know that the uh, <laughs> the opinions of Scott Holder are not the opinions of Zach Crater, yeah. Jeff Pearson, or Bros. Bible Fear. <laughs> and then if I if I can have one more minute in there. No, you okay. just said a lot of things. Okay, no, it's good. Do you want to respond to that? Uh, I don't want to. We're not going to settle this debate, as you know, Jonathan. Um, no. But feel it, free to respond to what Scott just said. And, and then we'll. That, you know, what I understand you saying is that. What I heard you saying was that, generally speaking, you think homosexuality is wrong and that a Christian should disassociate with anyone who might be a Christian who is potentially involved with homosexuality. With those things as a lifestyle, those those things that Paul mentioned there, the— It might be— Yeah, immoral, idolaters, uh, covetous, swindlers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and there may be some truth to that. I think there's just a— 
There's about 49 different questions and scenarios and complex <laughs> things that present itself in your process of doing that. You know, like how quickly should you do that? Uh, you know, what, how do you, do you journey through the person with that? What's the pastor's responsibility? What's the church's responsibility? By the way, what the freak, the people, how do they even, what, how much business is it of ours of what someone else is going through? How do we even know if they might potentially be gay or not? Um, there's all these pastoral questions that rear its ugly head that make it really, really, really difficult for most of us human beings, myself for sure, to be able to utilize that kind of discernment and knowledge. How do I know for sure if that person is making that choice based on the fact that you know they have internal challenges or they've had external challenges? How do I how do I discern between that? and some like mutated perversion choice that they have made. Um, all these things take time and sometimes years and maybe decades. And my hope would be let's live with them for decades. And then maybe at the end, they'll just see love that at some point that they will, um, you know, they'll gravitate towards love rather than the church categorically saying before people even show up what we know is gay and to define what is gay because we don't. It's super complicated. Um, and again, of the six verses, we don't, we don't have a ton of input on all of that. It's not black and white. I just think that's a way better approach. And if you want to build a church on disassociating yourself from that list of people, that's cool. I'll let you go for that. I'm not particularly interested in that. And I like Paul, but I really like the way Jesus um, interacted with all those, those lists of people better than Paul. Now, I'm not trying to disrespect Paul because Paul— you know, he had the unfortunate problem of dealing with all these I mean, churches in Corinth. I mean, those those people were a mess. Right. So he had to try to lay down, you know, some rules and some behaviors. And I get all of that. But uh, at the end of the day, I think love is the deepest thing. And um, that's what I'm going for. And honestly, if I spoke for I'm speaking for Scott now, <laughs> if Scott got in a relationship with uh, with a dude, oh, I was just, let's just say it's somebody on our softball team. Um, sure, it could be my sister, I'm trying to think who's of, a lesbian. I'm trying to think of who on our side um, team might be interested. But let's just let's just say no. You have good relationship with some guys, and you do, and then you find out that one of them's gay. You're not going to cut them off. You're not going to cut them off. You're not going to cut your friendship off. You're going to be a good friend, right? We're yeah. giving you credit for that, Scott. I yeah. believe Jeff here. Yeah. yeah, there you go. I, 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 I have family members that are. So we're talking that about something gay. that because when you really get to know somebody, when you're you're doing life together, it changes the whole dynamic of how we I, respond. I think if we could just encourage all of us to go do life and befriend one another, but instead, at least in my situation, we had people who were hypersensitive to. No, we got to create these statements, and before they even. Before maybe we even baptize them or before they teach a Sunday school class, we got to know, well, we don't ask all those questions about anything else. Why do we ask those questions about that? that well, we should. Maybe we should. Yeah, well, yeah. Maybe, but we, let's no, leave well, that alone. We should. We, sh we should. Yeah. Are, are, you, are you sexually immoral? Uh, that that yeah, would be a great just... question to ask a potential uh, right. uh, leader in your congregation. Yeah, it's a point <laughs> Right, but I, part of the point is, you know, signing off on what questions are to be asked, to what length do you go, 
The problem is every pastor and every church kind of has its own group of people it's ha- it has to shepherd. And there is no, you can play this out to the most specific mm-hmm. detail and you still have to decide whether someone's in or out because yeah. that's these details work. And there just, there aren't enough rules. I mean, I could create the best rules in the world. As soon as I hit print, it'll be outdated because <laughs> one of the four of us will be making up some new weird sexual, you know, temptation or some new thing. <laughs> You know, that you know, considered the rules. So, I mean, rules are good, but what they blind us to sometimes is the sin of making rules. Yeah. And the uh, church can do that far too often. And so I'm not saying that there aren't any standards. I think that there, there are clearly things that we need to help our people with. But my particular issue was, the and I think this is true probably of a lot of basically middle-of-the-road evangelical environments— they wanted me to sign off on a series of things before the gay person even walked in the door. And, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. furthermore, I had people from other churches within our tradition watching our Facebook live feed to see who was praying, who was singing, what I was preaching mm. about, wow. and then reporting that information you know, back to the, the powers that be. And yeah. I'm like, that's, so, that's crazy. You know, that's, yeah. that's just nuts. So those people shouldn't even, it's none of their business. You know, yeah, I don't yeah. think do you, business. Do you, do you think, so I, uh, let me just, I'll make a statement. Uh, in my view, it, it's different. Um, some one coming into the congregation or a couple coming in and saying, uh, we're gay and we don't think it's a sin and uh, we want to be a part of the leadership and, all, you know, whatever. That I think that's a different scenario than someone coming in. They're gay, and they are seeking to repent of their sin. Why do you think that's a different scenario? Based uh, on what? Because one is saying it's not a sin, and the other is right. saying I'm acknowledging my sin, and I want to, and I and I want to repent of it, like we all do when we come to Christ. We're we're saying I'm a sinner. I'm repenting of my sin. So you're, you're back to the definition, which is fine. You're back to right. that, that of those six verses, you've decided that that is a sin. And yes. part of my point is, yes. even if it is, you might be sinning, you might be sinning by then excluding them from their involvement in the church. And I'm not even, I'm not even willing to say it's a sin at this point, but even if it was, what the church has then done has made um, hierarchies out of the whole way they've handled that to the degree that it has scapegoated that person. And I think that that's wrong. But I, but I think with first Corinthians five, it's, it, it's not a sin to exclude them because of the, the immoral person that you should not even eat with them. But th- so that, that would be the point of view. That, we we yeah. got that. That's yeah. your point. You know, I, I softball uh, question and who you're, if you're disassociating with that person on your team. You know the yeah. the thing well, is the thing is like what's not being said because then there's the husband and wife who come and we like we want to be in this congregation and we want to lead and uh, by the way I'm not going to tell you but you know I love pornography and uh, but I'm not going to say that um, because you know I don't want anybody to know that so it's different in what we don't what we don't know it's not that it's I mean. <laughs> Everybody has their imperfections, and so to for the to, church, it's pride and self righteousness. And so, I'm, I'm, it's like I don't. I mean, people are are fighting for their lives, and they have they're trying to fight off their shame and guilt, and they're you know fighting back their addictions and crap that are happening. They're fighting societal 
crap that's happening in these you know, people putting their thumb on them and being like, you're going to be this way or you can't be a part of this group because you're this way. It's like, but, you know, pull up the veil and let's hear about what, you know, the crap of everybody's, you know, the stuff that they're trying to hide. And then it's not to say that it's right, but it's the battle that people are going through. Then it comes back to what Jonathan is saying. What I would say is that, you know, if, if we only knew each other, so well that we could speak in each other's lives and support each other and love one another. I mean, that's where I rest and I don't get into the argument of, you know, we're going to ostracize of what we know. Uh, yeah, you're going to rest and you're going to say, I'm not going to, but I'm not, but not, you're gonna, you're but not use... ostracizing people. Like <laughs> if, if you do think it's, yeah. if you do think it's, ter- if you do think it's something that we need to like, nope, you don't get to be in this box. Well, then do you have the, like the love of Jesus to just go and love those people and, and do life with them. And if you think so, lead them into a better life where they would be accepted into, you know, your church life. You, you well, can't, you can't go with what you don't sorry, know. No. So as chief, as church, as church leadership, if, if someone's not disclosing Scott, something, how are you supposed to know I got to pull the bylaw card. Yeah. It's against our bylaws to keep going around <laughs> okay. circles. So All right. that's right. It's in his contract. <laughs> I have, it open I right thought here. we got, I got, I thought we got three times around. <laughs> I wish I had the air horn that we've been talking about getting. That's my rant for the night. Sorry, Jonathan. That was good. It's good. Jonathan, you've been so generous, generous with your time. Um, I had a, I had a question about. Uh, you're married, right? Yes, sir. Married? Okay, like, and how how you guys navigated that is such a deep and meaningful conversation. How you navigated the loss of your child because the odds are against people that either have special needs kids or lose a child, yeah. like heavily against a marriage sticking together. Uh, I don't know if you can speak to that now, or maybe we'll do part two in a few weeks, but, but, cause that's a big question too, but I just had to mention that you guys are still together and that can't it's miraculous. Well, she doesn't like me, but we're still together. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. I think she likes me. Um, well, we could do both. I can give you a brief answer and we could do part two. Happy sure. to do that. Oh, that'd be rad. That'd be great. It's, it's, yeah, it's taken a lot of work and I think, kind of an oversimplification but i think it's true that you you know you really either go one way or the other you either um start to distance yourself because there's so much pain you know you're trying to figure out ways to navigate that pain and it's too easy as a human being to locate it onto someone else so you either um begin to distance yourself from from those who are closest to you or you just lean into it and um and truthfully you probably do a combination of both Mm -hmm. But we've been really fortunate, man. Like we have a, it's a small church. It's a beautiful little church that's helped us tremendously. We've had great friends. We have great family. And we, we're just barely smart enough to take Jesus at his words. Jesus said, you're blessed when you mourn. And so we've said from the very beginning, we are going to mourn. Like we're not going to suppress this thing. And when I started preaching again, when I got up, we don't really call it preaching, whatever I do. When I started talking again in front of people at our faith community, I was really honest uh, about it, and um, we spent, I mean, we still talk about it. We still talk about loss a lot, but that turned church into a place where it was he, it was a healing place for both of us, as opposed to uh, some other times in, in our lives where we've been at churches 
where it was a bit more performance oriented and the pastor wasn't allowed to be quite that honest. So um, I think part of the answer is we were really honest with each other and with our church and with our friends. And that honesty, you know, translated into a lot of healing. That's so good. good. Yeah. So I got one final question. And sure. I, I would love if you'd be if you would do it, I'd it'd be talking about marriage and how things work through the chaos of life. And Jeff can speak to this a lot, too. And one day Scott will be able to as well. I'm not getting We're married. hoping he's single when he has this gay marriage. Uh, wow, Jeff. All right, just leave it on Scott. All right. Don't do All it. Right, I'm just joking. Um, it's not bad or good in any way. Um, but so you are in, just picture this with me. You're walking into the gates of the New Jerusalem, and let's just pretend it's the literal thing, and it's just you. You get to walk in with one person, living or dead, on your arm. They're your hype person. Who is that person, and what is the play in music, the walk in music? <laughs> As they're announcing Jonathan Foster, author, pastor, husband, father. Who do I get to walk in with? Yeah. Anyone well, first, or your wife? Well, yeah. Well, we'll first of all, that. The, the, the gates of uh, Jerusalem are never going to be shut. Uh, that's Amen. what I understand the revelation to say. And so I think it's probably likely we're going to be walking back and forth multiple times. So give and, us a couple people then. <laughs> um, anyhow, your first day. First time. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd have to say my daughter. Yeah. my it, It'd be a lot of fun to uh, meet up with her at some point and we'll go cruising through there because I anticipate that depending on how this all plays out with time, space, quantum mechanics, theory of relativity, you know, yeah. whether or not God knows the future David or not. David saying he'll you know, see his son again. Yeah, de- depending on all of that, she may have been there and so she can show me around. Uh, if it's theory of relativity, we're all going to be experiencing at the very same time. Yeah, which, which was a lot of fun too. Um, so, but I'll, I'll go with my daughter. And the, as far as the music, oh my word, there's no way. How could I? I probably, you know. I recognize it's an impossible question. It's going to be like um, Aerosmith. Uh, <laughs> can I go with the Fugees, Lauren Hill? Yes. Oh yeah. And I'd, I'd like some of that, like undergirding the like the beat. And a little Fred, Freddie Mercury over the top singing. Nice. Um, and gosh, I don't, I have so many, I have so many artists that I love. I, there's yeah. no way. Let's just go with Lauren Hill. That's but, cool. That, well, you, that was the most eclectic um, answer we've had so far. The combination. Well, and I had to stop. I had several more, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next time. You'll think next, of more next time. Cool. Cool. That's Thank awesome. you so much. So, give us your details. How can people get in touch and buy buy the books and all that stuff? Uh, you can find me jonathanfosteronline.com is the website. I started a podcast that really had to do. The first season was all about this book because I had um, enough people asking me how it was I was arriving at the places that I was. Like, how did I get from the more conservative to the quote unquote more progressive thing? And so uh, finally, I just decided to put the podcast together. So that kind of came out in concert with the book, which has been really helpful. And the name of that, it's super unoriginal, but it's hard to find cool names like Beers, Bros, Bible. Well, it's you know. so cool. <clears throat> it's so cool that you, it usually get the order gets messed up. I don't even know what the real name is. Bibles, Bros, Beer, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so the name of the podcast is Jonathan underscore Foster. And you can find that on all podcasting platforms. Um, and then just, yeah, search for me on Amazon. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, I really, I love the book. It it's short. It was like two ninety nine on Kindle, and yep. I don't know if that's the way it's kind of going to stay, but yep. it's not long, but it's it's deep and it's meaningful and it gets to the point. And I really appreciate that about it. And it's cheap enough that if you're listening to this, you have no excuse not to buy it and look right. at it. That's right. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. All right. Yeah. Thanks for letting me ask you some questions there. Absolutely. <laughs> Just, you know, go read the book again and, <laughs> and pray a lot and, and we'll fast we'll and figure it out. You know, yeah. 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 Tie You'll it. come to the correct yeah. conclusions. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank, Thank you so much. much. All right. Blessings. All right. Take care. And Jeff, if I was going to get gay married, I would put the plus in LGBTQ. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Like I'd you just really go, really go for it. I'd plus like the crap over out the top. of it. LGBTQTIA, I think it is so far. I think there's another A. They I'm robbed. Not, They're, this this okay. group is I robbing A-A-P. the alphabet. I'll put the A in LGBT. They're not robbing. It was a joke. There was some meme I saw. They're reappropriating it, Jeff. Okay. I, I'm with him. I'm at first. I re, I'm like gay people, or I noticed at Starbucks there was. I mean, why are all just the, noticed? Why this? are like no no no? This is a while back. Like, and this is when I'm at least two weeks like, ago, it, Scott. I felt like it. I felt like it was being pushed, like in society. Like this community of people was being pushed into society, in in an overt way and that bugged the heck out of me initially and I'm like why the heck do I go to like Starbucks or Disneyland or let's just stick with those right now and and it seems like every time I go in there I get a guy who has a, a lisp he's he's feminine he's I'm guessing he's gay and I, I'm like what has happened um, that they're acting this way because this then, is this is ridiculous. And then, I, I mean, I've you know totally flipped that, and that this this is a person, as Jonathan was saying. It's they're all people, and they it doesn't really matter what has happened. It's like you create relationships with people, and y'all bleed the same. That's blood. it. Yeah, and so there, and I kind of felt the same way. I'm like, man, I feel a little guilty that I felt this way, and I still joke inappropriately every once in a while. And I'm like, oh, I just why I want to just get a laugh. That was stupid. Like saying, Scott, what, you're gonna your gay marriage, like stuff like that. And that's why I kind of followed up with like, it's not a good or bad thing. I'm just. You know, it's like my sister. She's a lesbian. I'm like, you know, hey, there's a guy. You know, you could go out with him. I know him. His name's Scott. And you, and she's like, that's. I'm a lesbian. That's gross. It's well, at least she didn't re- comment on my picture, so I appreciate that. Right. Well, <laughs> you're right. Mm. But the son of uh, I'm and I <laughs> the son of uh, Elon know. Musk and and Joey, Joey. From friends. <laughs> What's his oh, name? Yeah, I keep saying Elon Musk. That's who I was going to say Scott Nikolai is. Tesla. <laughs> Nikolai. Oh, his face is too thin but for me. No cards. I, yeah. So no card, Nikolai. Um. Yes. Okay. Great Scott, stuff. I'm. I'm glad that even though it was after the fact, he's glad. He allowed you to ask the question slash give a statement slash sermon, and respond to it. Um, and for your sake, even though 
you know, we are are butting heads over this issue among other a lot of others. I appreciate that. I know because of our previous conversations, you had that <laughs> on your mind. So I'm glad you got to bring it up. I and is I, that a concession? I, I no, I, I it was totally clear to me. I thought I, it was. Well I greatly said. appreciate you guys um, allowing me to. I mean, ask those questions. So I, I appreciate it. I'm appreciate not going to play the. F- th- thank you, yeah. Scott. Um, and in closing, I have an email to read. It's less of an email and more of an email subject. Huh. So I'm just going to read it. Hmm. I would love to meet you men. God says, come as you are. He knows the ugly in us and in this world. He says fellowship. So that's what we shall do. With Bibles, beer, bikes, barbecue, babes, babies, <laughs> and fun. <laughs> What the heck? Why does church have to be in a building? <laughs> That's the subject line of the email. <laughs> oh my and gosh. The email body is is blank. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I replied, thank you. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking, I thought you were gonna read the subject line. <laughs> yeah. That's so gay. <laughs> From- <laughs> Yeah, you leave say it, good leaving again. that aside, that's from Sierra. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to give the full name or email, but that was an email. So if you're a real person and not a robot, I'd love to hear more about that. And I appreciate you reaching out. But yeah. the subject line thing threw me and the additional that's B funny. words. It was funny. Maybe they're just being funny. And in that case, Babies. they won. I, 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 I think we like all those things. If, if I may be so bold, as speak yeah. for all three of us. Um, oh, wow. Yes. Please be so bold. Yeah. Um, to, to quote a Dimitri Martin, or paraphrase a Dimitri Martin joke, as long as you're saying, I love babies, that's fine. Yeah. Say, I love six-month-olds. Mm, it's too specific. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if you say, like, I love prepubescence, that'd be a little weird. That'd be weird. <clears throat> I had a sixth grader in my. Uh, I had a sixth grader. Wait, wait. I had a sixth grader in my class just yes. a couple of weeks ago. It was like, I don't want to kill babies. Like, why did you say that? Why did you say that? Dude, no, I said I don't want to kill. Them. Off to the office you go. <laughs> you start checking his bag. It's like, uh, oh man, we need a jingle for adventures and teaching. With why Jeff is he Pierce going the- toward the kindergartners? <laughs> oh gosh. All right. Grace, peace, cheers. Well, I appreciate Grace, you guys. Peace, cheers. For once. Thanks, Scott. Oh,